2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And believe it or not, I know it's probably felt like an eternity. We're finally finishing 2 Corinthians, okay? <laughs> so hopefully you found some ways to be encouraged even when you're suffering. That's what this book has been about. But um, again, I just want to uh, turn our hearts back there one final time. We'll probably have a special devotion uh, message next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, you guys, we're going to do our Sanctity of Life Sunday. And this year, our focus is going to be on trafficking, human trafficking. And it's really interesting. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I've been even hearing on the radio a lot of different uh, people that are focused on this idea of trafficking as well. Uh, I have reached out to a friend of Oliver's, and we're going to see if maybe that one of the Wednesday nights, if she can join in on a Zoom and share about her ministry, which deals with trafficking. So hopefully sometime in the next month, we'll be able to coordinate that and work all that out. But you guys just be in prayer as we kind of look towards those things and then pray for our church, what our response should be corporately and individually. Uh, today's message is really pretty simple, and it's about uh, checking your own heart. And so the way the scripture words it is to examine yourselves. And so as we kind of jump into God's Word today, what, what I really want you to kind of do is take a little time here today and do a little reflection on where you are, all right, spiritually. And even today, something that we don't do often uh, recently, but I'm sure we'll do more again as things get back to normal, we will have an altar of invitation. And so we're going to have a song today at the end of our sermon. And if you want to pray where you're sitting, you can do that. If you want to come to the altar or wherever, feel free to pray today. But today is really about us kind of checking our heart and making sure that we are where we need to be with the Lord. All right? So let's jump into the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to start with verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. And this is, we're starting off with King James here, verses 5 through 8. The Word of God says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Now, you guys, we kind of pushed our way through this book, and really, to me, or to your preacher here, you guys check it out in your spirit and your heart. Chapter 12 is the key to this whole book, all right? And the picture there is that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And as we think about suffering and what suffering, and you guys, we have faced a lot of suffering this year, and I'm afraid there's still more ahead of us, right? So we need to figure out how can the Lord work in us even in the midst of suffering. And I wanted to start with an illustration that still ties that point in to this whole big picture. And so let's kind of go there this morning, and then we'll jump right back into verse 1 and work our way through the text, okay? This is from Michael Knowles. John Stott is a famous preacher. He shares the following story from back in 1958 when he was leading a university outreach in Sydney, Australia. The day before the final meeting, Stott received word that his father had passed away. In addition to his grief, 
Stott was also starting to lose his voice. And here's how he describes the final day of the outreach. He says, It was already late afternoon within a few hours of the final meeting of the mission, so I didn't feel I could back away at that time. I went to the great hall and I asked a few students to gather around me and I asked one of them to read, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A student read these verses and then I asked him, asked them to lay hands on me and to pray that those verses might be true in my own experience. When time came for me to give my address, I preached on the broad and narrow way from Matthew chapter 7, and I had to get within half an inch of the microphone, and I croaked the gospel like a raven. (laughs) I couldn't exert my personality. I couldn't move. I couldn't use any inflection in my voice. I croaked the gospel in monotone. And then when the time came to give the invitation, there was an immediate response larger than any other meeting during the mission as students came flocking forward. I've been back to Australia about 10 times since 1958, and on every occasion, somebody has come up to me and said, do you remember that final meeting in the university in the Great Hall? I jolly well do. I reply, well, they say, I was converted that night. And this is what's important. Stock concludes, the Holy Spirit takes our human words, spoken in great weakness and frailty, and he carries them home with power to the mind, the heart, the conscience, and the will of hearers in such a way that they see and believe. That's God's power and weakness. You guys, you don't know what a comfort that is to a preacher, especially this preacher. I am not a gifted orator. I just try to bring God's word as simple as I can and let you guys digest it and eat it up and let God speak and move. And you guys need to be the same way in your life. You don't feel like sometimes you have the words. You don't feel like you have the answer. You feel like you don't know what to say to this person. And what you need to do is offer your weakness to the Lord and then trust the Lord in the work. That's the hard part. I want to see the results. I want to see my coworker, you know, turn their life around. I want to see my spouse turn their life around. I want to see this ministry just explode. (laughs) But I got to trust the Lord for the results. And it's amazing that when we do that, that the Lord gets the results in those things, right? So again, be encouraged as we think our way through this again. The whole point of this book is that God can use suffering in us to magnify his name and to fill us with great joy. So as we kind of finish up 2 Corinthians today, I just want to remind you that God can do great things through us, especially, not, not just occasionally, but especially in our weakness in our suffering, but in humility, we must submit all we have to him. Poor in spirit, boys. That's what we were talking about this morning, all right? So let's go back to verse one, and let's look at some warnings to those backsliding. Warnings to those who are backsliding. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, verse one, this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, and now I repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power. We will live with him in our dealing 
with you. Paul here is challenging those at the Corinthian church to get their lives together, to get them right. Last week, we used the word repent, right? Our culture right now, this is what I'm finding out from our young culture, they do not like that word at all. They do not like the idea of sin at all. There are certain things, if you do something that is offensive to them, then you might have a little moment where you could talk about sin and repentance. (laughs) But the rest of the time, they don't want to admit there's a sin problem. If there's no sin problem, then there's no need for repentance or forgiveness, right? And what we saw last week was that was the huge problem at the church at Corinth. Paul wanted to see repentance in them. He wanted to see a change of mind and a change of heart. And that only comes when the Spirit of God convicts us. And then in humility, we say, Lord, change me and turn me. Right? So Paul says, this will be the third time. The next time I see you will be the third time coming to the church there at Corinth. He founded the church. He stayed there a, a year and six, six months, 18 months he was there on his first visit. There was a second visit was brief, but it was painful between the writing of 1 Corinthians and the writing of 2 Corinthians. And now he says, I'm about to come again. And when he comes again, if there's anyone in the church that refuses to repent, he's going to address it. What? We don't like to talk about this, do you? Your preacher really doesn't like that. You know I am not a confrontational person, right? I'm not really in your face too much. <laughs> but we talked about this last week. There is definitely a time where you need to speak the truth of the gospel in love to people around you. Hear me today, folks. Hear me today. Your loved ones, your coworkers, your neighbors that don't know Jesus, and we're so afraid about speaking. Some, well, if I talk to them about Jesus and they're going to think I have to be perfect and then they're going to point out my flaws. <laughs> if you don't tell them about Jesus, who's going to? All right? Our missionary friends who are traversing the world, literally the globe, to tell people about Christ. If they don't tell, who's going to tell them? We have to speak that truth. All right? And today, what Paul is speaking about, there were so many different, we saw them last week. There was debauchery, there was lying, there was tons of immorality in the church. And Paul says, when I come back, if I see that in here again, if I see that in this place, we will address it. Now, some of the leaders in the Corinthian church, they were giving Paul a hard time. Because when he came and when he spoke, he was not a great orator. They're like, well, you didn't really move me, Bob. I really like so-and-so so much better. Apollos, I love to hear him speak. Man, he's awesome. But Paul, you don't really have much power when you come. <laughs> Paul, who founded the church, Paul, who was left for dead, Paul, who was shipwrecked, Paul, who was beaten with a cat of nine tails 39 times, uh, that Paul. When he comes back this time, he goes, well, you're going to see the power. The, you saw that Christ was crucified, to be sure, he says. You saw him in weakness there, right? And I have come to you in weakness. I've come to you in humility. I've come to you in love. And he says, but that same Christ rose again in power, in the power of God. And when I come to you, the power of God is going to point these things out. Now, we don't see this as much in our day, but you remember in the book of Acts, God would punish sinners in a clear way to demonstrate to the church about holiness, wouldn't you, right? Yeah. You remember there was a time a a young couple was coming into the church there and they had sold some property and decided to keep a little on the side for themselves. And they're like, oh, here's our offering for the good of the church. And they were, you know, they were going to get their certificates like we've been getting for SoulCon, <laughs> right? Oh, look at what I've done, right? And they were lying about what they did, right? And what happened? Yeah, when the husband came in, this is 
pure preacher imagination. What not mean to pick on SoCon so much, guys. I'm big what you did. But whenever the, the man came in, what I imagine is he stood up front and he was shaking Peter's hand and just like as proud as he could be about what he was doing for the church, even though he had cheated some. And he died. And they took him out. And again, your preacher's imagination here, they went and put him in the ground. And the lady came in and she didn't know that he had died and then what had happened and that he had lied. She knew he was going to lie. She comes down front, getting ready to do the same thing. And I can imagine Peter saying, see those guys there in the back? See the mud on their boots? That's from where they just buried your husband. And now you're about to meet the Lord as well. Think that would get your attention today? What if the preacher decided to, to call out and say, Brother Tom, come down. I'm going to talk about your sinful problem in front of the congregation today. Think I get anybody's attention? Now we know scripture, that's not how we're supposed to do that, right? Well, what do we do? Well, biblically, I should have put all this here in the message, but you guys know the little patterns of things, right? First, I need to go to my brother. Hear me out here. This is so important because this happens way too much in ministry. What some people like to do when someone offends them, you know the first person they go to after their mom? They go to their preacher, just like the preacher's mom, so they can tattle, right? Rick said, oh, Brother Travis, you won't believe what Todd did to me last week. He, he's supposed to be my friend, and this is what he did. Do you know what he's doing anyways? Somebody needs to correct him there about that. Is that how we deal sometimes with sin in other people's lives? We go tattle, don't we, right? Or we talk to our own family and we point out other people's problems to try to puff us up a little bit. But what's the scripture say? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to my brother. So if we're picking on Todd and Rick this morning, Rick would not come to the preacher first. He would go to his brother first. And he would say, man, Todd, I love you, but something's gone wrong here and I'm not sure how to fix it. Can you help me? That takes some guts, doesn't it? Some serious guts to do that. And then what should happen? Brother Todd says, you know, Rick, I don't care what you have to say. I don't, I don't care about that. I can do what I want to and be who I want to be. And if I want to sin, that's my business. Why don't you leave me out of it? And you sit on one side of the church, I'll sit on the other. Then what's Brother Rick's supposed to do? He's supposed to go pop him in the cheek, right? No, that's not what Scripture says, right? What's he supposed to do then? Then he's supposed to come and get an elder of the church. And they're supposed to come together. So maybe Brother Rick gets Michael, or maybe he gets, he gets me, or maybe he gets Oliver, Maybe gets, uh, even with Vicky, maybe they both go to Brother Todd and they sit down and they have this conversation and they say, hey, we got an issue here and it's really important. We want you to know how much we love you and we care for you. And then Brother Todd, let's say, you know how hard-hearted he is anyways, right? Let's say that he says, you guys, you can't quit judging me. You have no business in my life. And if I want to do this, I can do it. Even though scripture said, I don't care what the Bible says. I want to do this. Then what's the scripture say to do? Then it comes before the body, and your preacher would say the leadership of the church, all right? Now, what I want you to know, and you're not going to believe this, some of you, but your preacher's actually been through this process a couple times with a couple different people. And what I've learned in that is it needs to be a, a timed thing. What I mean by that is it's not like uh, Sunday morning, Rick visited Todd, and then he took Vicky, then he brought it before the church, and by lunchtime, we got rid of Todd. <laughs> That's not how this works, right? Whenever somebody confronts you, what's your very first response? Right? Whew. Defensive, like Michael said. 
Who are you to tell me? I've probably been thinking all morning. Preacher, there's so many things I could tell on you. You need to quit picking on me, right? Who are you to give this to me? And it takes a little time to process that, doesn't it? I mean, I've had this in my own life when someone has checked my motives. I had a good friend one time hit me right between the eyes and just completely abased me. And he was checking my motives. And my initial response was not good. But when I processed and had some time, I knew what his heart was and I knew what it was for me to be more like Christ and that I needed that time to come to that a little bit, right? So as we think about speaking into other people's lives, we need to do it biblically and we don't need to be afraid to engage other people, but we need to do it with a heart of love. Can I say it this way this morning? Just overlooking somebody's sin is not an encouragement. This is kind of meddling this morning, isn't it, right? Just overlooking somebody's sin is not an encouragement to them. If it's someone you're close with, then you need to encourage them and challenge them in a positive way, push them forward. And sometimes that means confronting their sin. We must, again, hear me this morning, we must follow the Spirit. Speak the truth in love. Be humble. Let the power of Christ work within you. This scripture spoke to my heart last night. It's Isaiah 66. And the Bible says here, Isaiah writes, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are what? Humble and contrite in spirit, and those who do what? Who tremble at my word, right? If you're going to speak into somebody's life, you better be trembling at the word of God. And that's how you have that right attitude. All right, a warning to those backsliding. Second thing this morning, examine yourselves, examine yourselves. Look at verse 5. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. To avoid condemnation and reproof, what should we do? Examine ourselves, right? Right? If, again, to use our ongoing illustration this morning, if Brother Todd's relationship with the Lord is good and he's checking his own heart, he's, what's going to happen before even probably Rick has to come talk to him, he's going to realize, oh, I didn't do right there. I need to fix that. I need to get my heart where it needs to be. And guess what? Is anybody going to have to speak into his heart then? No, because the Lord already did it, right? We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We talk about the Lord's Supper all the time when we go to that passage, right? There's the same message. Examine yourselves so you'll not be condemned. And you guys, that's the heart of our message this morning. Examine your own heart today. Test your own heart to make sure that you're right with the Lord. All right? If you are truly in the faith, you should know a few things. You should know a relationship with the Spirit. You should have a hunger for the Word of God. You should long for communion with God. And you should know those who are of a kindred Spirit. So let's look at this just for a quick second here. What are some tests that you might use to determine if you are, as Paul says, in the faith? If you are in the faith, first thing I want you to think about this morning, do you believe God is who he says he is? Do you believe the virgin birth today? Do you believe that there was an ark? Do you believe that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground? Those are things that God says, this is who I am. I had a good quote again this morning that the God that spoke to Moses is the same God today. He has not changed one bit. I am, right? 
And that's the challenge this morning. That's one test is do you really believe that God is who he says he is? Second thing this morning, I think this is pretty good. Do you feel convicted about wrongdoing? When you were uh, not a Christian and you went and did things that were wrong, it's very possible that many of the time you had no conviction over those things. You just enjoyed them. But when you became a Christian, what usually and what should happen is, is what? Those things, when you do them, they're not so much fun anymore, are they, right? They might be fun for a time, and then after the time, what happens? Oh, I feel horrible. Why did I do this? Why did I go against God's word? If you have conviction about wrongdoing, that's another sign that you are God's child. Again, he disciplines those he loves, right? Are you encouraged when you read the scriptures and when you pray and when you sing? Again, if you have a love for God, you're going to want to spend time with him. The boys and I, we were talking this morning in Sunday school about our YouTube time, right? <laughs> we all waste time on different things, right? Maybe it's your show on Netflix. Maybe it's a hobby you have in the garage. Maybe it's uh, whatever your thing is. Um, and to have some time to refresh and to relax, get away, that's all, that's all right. But is your heart have a passion to know the Lord? If there's no passion there today, you need to check your heart. And then the last one, and I think this is the most important one, and man, how can I say this uh, lovingly but very clearly? Have you been changed? Have you been changed? You guys, as much as we want to see people get wet in this baptistry, there's a lot of wet people that are going to hell. I mean that very seriously. I'm not trying to be joking about that. There's a lot of people that fill out a membership card that have a membership record that are in a membership role in a whole bunch of churches that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people who said a sinner's prayer because they were just mimicking what somebody was talking to them about and it wasn't in their heart and there is no change. Hear me this morning. This is the biggest test for if you are in the faith. Is there a change? And it can be hard for young people, right? Take these guys here, you know. They're pretty ornery, though. Maybe they have a pretty good change. I don't know. When your preacher was young, I got saved when I was six years old. You know? And you, people would like, and here's the sad part. It's kind of, when you think about it this way, the worst things I will ever do in my life, the worst sins I will ever commit, I will do them as a Christian. <laughs> And so you're like, where's the change? But I will tell you, as a six-year-old boy, when I got saved, my heart's desire was to know God and sue him. And I didn't have it before, and I've had it ever since. And that's how I know I'm in the faith, because the Lord changed me. Have you been changed today? That's a big question to determine if you're in the faith. Real quick, those who, uh, when we talk about salvations and being assured about your salvation, which we're talking about this morning. I, I, I thought this was a good way to kind of picture this. There's Sometimes there's people put it this way. There's three groups of people. There are those who are in Christ, but are not sure. All right. And unfortunately, sometimes real Baptists have a bad name for this. Okay. There are people who are saved. They've been changed. And yet they still let things influence their thinking. They're always wondering, am I really a Christian? Okay. And that is not a good place to be. <laughs> you should be able to know Christ and know you're in Christ. The scripture is very clear about that. 
The second group sometimes, and this is the scary group, there are those who are sure, but they are not in Christ. These are people that, uh, again, I'm not just trying to pick on anyone, but these are people that might have a cross around their neck or a tattoo cross, or they may have a, a fish sticker on their car, and they may be proclaiming, hey, yeah, I'm with this group, but their heart has not been changed. Okay, They may be going to church every Sunday, but they say they're sure, but there's no change. Those are not in Christ. And that's what we're talking about today to investigate and to reflect our own heart. And then the third group, which is the group that we all want to work to be in, is that there are those who are in Christ and are sure. And this is a uh, group that is full of born-again believers who enjoy a warm relationship, a vibrant relationship with Christ each day. That's how you can have your assurance, okay? And again, I thought this was really good to point this out in light of this. You guys, I hope this is not too much text for you today, but again, something to think about that it all fits together. The objective basis of our salvation is not our feelings. Sometimes we base our relationship with God on how I feel today. Did I listen to some Christian worship music and I read my Bible or I did something nice for someone? Today I feel saved. Today I feel right with God. <laughs> did I wake up late and I missed my Bible study or I said some really mean things to my wife? or I did something super stupid, and then that day is like, oh, I bet I'm not saved, right? We go back and forth with that, okay? But what I want you to see here this morning is the objective basis of our salvation is the finished work of God's Son on the cross. All right? <laughs> you are in not because of anything you did, and you can't get out because of anything you did. Hear that today? It's the Lord's work. He did the work. That's the objective basis of salvation. And hopefully that'll be encouragement to you this morning. But the subjective basis for our assurance is our believing the truth about Christ. That feeling that I have about assurance is about my faith. It's about loving my brothers and sisters. It's about following the Lord's commands by the leading of his spirit. And those things go hand in hand. I want you to be encouraged in that today. All right, next thing here this morning, we're making our way to the end here, guys. Thank you for your patience. Do the right thing for the right reasons. Look down at verse 7. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. Verse 8, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. And that is why, this is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority of the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Hear the Lord this morning. This is really important. To rebuke sin is to not show others your authority or your power or your title. All right? Paul says, I hope that we are weak and you're strong. <laughs> we are pressing on you that you will stand the test, not so that it makes us look good, but so that you'll actually be everything that Christ wants you to be. Again, we talked about that last week and the way kind of Paul's approach to parenting that church. The true Christian can only serve the truth. They accept rebuke and reproof when it comes from God and his word through his servants. Another good test this morning. Can you accept rebuke? 
Or Brother Rick goes to Brother Todd and he says, buddy, I'm, I'm a little worried about you here. I just want you to know I'm praying for you and I'm not sure this is the right decision you're about to make. And of course, his first response is defensive for most of us. I don't know, maybe that's just the main thing, but I feel like it's most people, right? But as Brother Todd has a little time and he can reflect on what Brother Rick says, if he's in the faith, he's going to ask the Lord, hey, Lord, is what Rick telling me? Is that what's right? Are you trying to speak to me? And if he is and he's got the right heart, then he will surrender to what the Lord says no matter who it comes to. Now, sometimes we can take things from people that we know that love us or people that we think are living a good and a holy life. But what if the Lord decides to speak to you through someone who's not very holy? Ever had that happen? That's hard, isn't it? Right? When the Lord uses someone that you don't think has fallen him right and they're speaking some truth into your heart and you don't want to hear it from them. Like, if it's Billy Graham telling me, all right, I'll deal with that. <laughs> but if it's Jezebel, God, get a different servant because I'm not going to listen to a word from that person at all. Right? Here's another truth this morning for you. Sometimes... The Lord's uh, discipline doesn't always come through the holiest of people. Sometimes the Lord uses some people who are broken and worn out and sometimes struggling, and yet they can still speak and challenge us in our life, right? Do the right thing for the right reasons. All right, finally, look down to verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, Rejoice. Again, that Paul comes, turns the tone here. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What he's saying here to me is just be mature. Grow up. Grow in Christ. Keep growing. And I wanted you to think about that a little bit this morning. We'll talk about that in just a quick second as we close. Do, are you better than you were a year ago? You've been through a lot of trial this year, right? Are you leaning on the Lord more than you ever have been before? Are you growing in disciplines with the Lord? Again, be comforted today. Be comforted by the Lord's love and the love of those who approve and reprove you. Do you love those who approve you? That's pretty easy, right? Oliver says, oh, preacher, that was a good message. Oh, boy, Oliver, I love you, man. You're a great guy. And then the next Sunday, Oliver says, uh, I don't think you hit the text right here, Pastor Penn. I've been studying the scriptures, and you better check it out. Well, who are you, Oliver? You don't know anything. I don't even like you. Approve and reprove, right? Is that how we respond to people? A lot of times it is, isn't it, right? Love those who reprove you. Again, and I don't want to get too grotesque, but, you know, the person that will tell you that you need to brush your teeth or put on the deodorant, right? That's a good friend, right? The person that says you have your shirt on backwards. We've all been there, right? And you don't want to be that person, do you? Yet, if you're the person that encourages someone that way, they're like, oh, man, thank you for letting me know. And that's what we're talking about today. I love those who approve and reprove you. Be of one mind. Get along. Live in peace. And the God of peace will be with you. And then I love this. And I heard the boys laughing when we said this down here, right? Greet one another. <clears throat> this is some strange greeting times, isn't it, right? Brother Rick's done a good job. He's trying to help us. We used to, to hug necks and shake hands. 
And we're kind of in a non-hugging and shaking time. It's about to kill your preacher. And I'm not even a hugger, which is so strange. But I just like, we need human contact. We need touch, right? And Paul even recognized that. When you see one another, greet one another, right? I, one of the things that I just love so much about my trip to India was that when we were able to go into those churches, they greeted us like nobody's, like I've never been greeted before. You guys remember some of the videos, right? The, we went to the ch- children's home. They, everywhere we would go, their greeting, they would give you lays, which I always thought was like a Hawaiian thing, but it's actually an Asian thing. In India, they would give you the lays, right? And, and then when we came in, they opened the gates to that children's home and they turned on the music and they started dancing. And they made us dance with us all the way in <laughs> to where they were going to have service. And that was their greeting. That was their expression of love. How do we greet and love people? And creatively now, how do we greet and love people in this time, right? Make sure that you're showing your love to brothers and sisters through this time. And then finally, he says, remember the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit are with you all. And what a great promise as we think about those things. All right, today as we close, I want you to think about this. It's a little bit, slightly lengthy story, but it's such a great point as we think about being the person to step into somebody's life, all right? You pray that this morning that the Lord will allow you to accept uh, reproof, but then also pray the Lord would give you boldness to speak it if you need to speak it. And this is uh, from Howard and Jeannie Hendricks. He was graduated from the finest four-star Christian college, the product of a distinguished evangelical church. He had a good personal grasp of the scriptures. From a strong Christian family, he was a personable and handsome green shoot, the whole nine yards. Like many in his league, however, he was writing rather than building on his background. At seminary, he was acceptable, certainly not outstanding. He suffered from a severe case of the blahs, turning in papers that would make better kindling than academic projects. He generally frittered away his time. And toward the end of his four-year tour of divine duty, I had developed an excellent relationship, and I called him into my office. Bill, I'm disappointed in you. Really, Prof? Why? His eyes widened and blinked. Well, I could be wrong, but my evaluation of this, you are a 10-cylinder man operating on about three and comparing yourself with others who have only two. The atmosphere electrified. He flushed, stifled some internal anger. We talked about that, and he left. Apparently, he felt he had been misunderstood and our friendship bond weakened. Upon reflection, he cooled uh, to thinking temperature. (laughs) Maybe Professor is right. Could it be true he's the only man who loves me enough to tell it like it is? He blew my cover. In time, our rapport was mended. Bill went on to become a military chaplain, serving with distinction and impact. One of the cherished letters in my, in my file is from Bill, thanking me for caring enough to face him with my convictions. Counselors can often be cowards, not caring enough to confront. Probably the reason I was sensitive to Bill's problem is that I had walked the same streets some years before. Prior to my graduation from Wheaton College, an administrator called me into his office and read me the riot act. Every time I opened my mouth, he told me to keep it shut. And I too stormed out of his office hotter than a hornet, only to reflect that he was really right. My conclusion, I finally met the first person in 22 years who loved me enough to look me in the eye and challenge me with my greatest problem, an undisciplined tongue. In fact, in review, I believe that flaw could have been fatal to my ministry. Another template had been furnished by the spirit-controlled man who truly loved me and who, like a good surgeon, was willing to hurt 
in order to heal. Too often I have seen marriages go down the drain, relationships deteriorate to the point of destruction, people with glaring personal limitation go unchecked, all because Christians who know precisely what is wrong will not love sufficiently to tackle the problem. I was afraid I would hurt their future, is one lame excuse. That is exactly what happens. My mind recalls the words of our Lord to Peter when he veered off course. It seems a harsh slash to the disciple who had a short time before confessed him as Lord. Out of my sight, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. These words came to the lips of the one who loves with an everlasting love. A former pastor told me about his experience of sinking into an immoral relationship. Listen to this. He said he felt like an exhausted swimmer battling alone in the pounding surf, unable to escape the strong undertow, about to go down for the last time. And on the shore, he could see all the people of the church. Some were shaking their heads and weeping in despair. Others were shouting and shaking their fists in anger and frustration. And there were words of encouragement and gestures of goodwill. There they were, all lined up, watching and waiting for something to happen. Only one man stepped forward and risked everything to plunge into the water and help the victim to safety. And the question that the Hendricks posed is, am I willing to be that person? That is tough, isn't it, right? Can you think of somebody in your life who really challenged you at one time? Who really kind of pushed on you and it benefited? Again, we have to follow the Lord's lead in this. And I'm not telling you guys, as we make our way out of church today, to tell everybody their problems. (laughs) But as you follow the Lord's footsteps, he may point out to you a friend that is struggling in in, in a way that they need help. And did you hear that pastor's cry there? Like he knew he was going down and he knew it was the wrong thing and he was just waiting for someone to challenge him. And nobody would. Nobody would. Lord, help us to follow the Spirit's leading these things. Are you growing and maturing? Are you closer than you were a year ago? Are you willing to live in peace and be of the same mind as others who are holding to the truth? This third one here today, are you willing to give and accept reproof in love? Let's stand this morning.